Hey everybody, welcome to the Tapestry Podcast. Um, I'm Ryan North and I am subbing for Chris Turner today in the hosting chair because Chris couldn't be with us. Um, with us today, as always, is my lovely wife, Kayla. Hey, Kayla. Hey. And uh, joining us uh, with a mic today is our engineer and editor, Chris Fonte. Hey, Chris. Hey there. Okay, so one of the things that I wanted to talk about today is um, a statement that we hear a lot from um, from families, and you know, just to kind of kind of peel the curtain back a little bit here, uh, Chris and his wife Katie are uh, foster parents, and Kayla and I fostered for a little over a decade, and so um, we have a long history and, and background in foster care, and one of the things that people say to us a lot is. I couldn't be a foster parent. I would just have such a hard time letting the kids go. You know, having them leave our home would be so difficult for me. So I know all of you have heard that. So I just kind of want to talk about that a little bit today and get your thoughts and, and what you think about that. Yeah, the first thing I always tell people when they say that, I always say, well, it is hard. And you just have to look at it from a perspective of it's not about me and it's not about what is best for me because I have a home and I have a family and I have um, all the things that I need. And so the reason that we decided to foster was in order to help others. And so if you, if you look at it from not from the perspective of how it's going to affect you, it's a lot easier, I think, to, to go into it. Not that it does, not that it's not, painful when they leave not that it's not um hard to let them go because it is but if your perspective is has shifted from how is it going to affect me to what kind of impact can we have on these kids yeah i mean it is definitely a a difficult uh a difficult thing to to let them go we had a, a baby who was in our care recently and she had the opportunity to go with her to go to her aunt's house to go be with her aunt to go live with her aunt you know obviously for for foster care or or maybe not so obviously to people who aren't you know yet familiar with it the goal is reunification um and if she can be with with stable family um not necessarily with her mother so it's not exactly reunification but she's with a family member that that can be a good thing and so we were excited that that could happen, uh, that, that she was able to do that. Um, but that didn't mean that it, it wasn't difficult for Katie and I um, to let her go. And sometimes it's hard for me to talk about this because it affects my wife, it affects my kids. You know, there's definitely a change that happens just as a change happens when, you know, she came to be with us in the first place. I feel like for me, maybe it takes a little while longer to sink in because we have another placement with us now. We move on, you know, but there are certainly times where I miss her and hope that she's doing well. Um, and, and it can also be difficult to not know how she's doing now because we don't we don't mm. know the aunt that she went with. Yeah. It would you know, she spent so much time with us. It would be nice to know hey, this is what's going on with her now. She's doing well with this or uh, or that sort of thing or she's having trouble with that or, you know, we don't necessarily get to hear those things. So 
that's difficult. You know, we've we've kind of moved on to another placement, but we have that memory of her and that still that concern that we had for when she was with us doesn't necessarily go away. I think the hardest part about placements leaving is when you don't have any access to know what's going on because your involvement in this story, both as an active participant and a spectator, just stops. And, and to me, um, that was always the hardest part because there's no, there's no real closure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's no real actual closure yeah. on, on, the, on, on that child being in your home. And I know when, when we had our very first, um, our very first placement that left, we had, um, we'd had him for about six, seven months. He'd been in our home and he left just before Christmas and it was really hard when he left, um, because we weren't confident that the place he was going to was a safe place for him. We weren't confident that it was a good place for him to be going. Um, and I think just what, what kind of got us through that time was just knowing that we had prayed for this little guy for months and months and months. And we had friends praying and we had family praying and we knew that God was in control of the situation and he was taking care of this little guy wherever he was. And so it didn't make it any easier to let him go as far as emotionally, it was still, I mean, I couldn't walk in the room that he was in for weeks. It took before I could even go in the room because it was sad. Um, he was, you know, just before his first birthday when he came to us in about 18 months when he left. And so it was, it was hard to let him go, but I knew that God had a plan for him. And I knew that God was protecting him and watching over him. And, you know, when he left, we, we sent our phone number with to his aunt's house and, and she called us and she let us be part of his life for several years after he left. We were able to keep in touch. Yeah. Christmases, birthdays. Yeah. yeah. But it wasn't, I mean, that's not the norm. That doesn't always happen in foster care. So you don't always get that. There have been several kids that have gone and we have absolutely no idea when they're adults, we may run into them one day on the street um, and we may or may not recognize them because they were little tiny when they were with us. Um, but just trusting that God has a plan and God has a purpose in each of their lives. And there was a reason they were in our home and there was a, you know, God used us for something in their lives. So, um, just before we go any, any further, I do want to make it clear that this isn't the foster parent recruitment episode because it may at various points start to sound like that. What what we do want to say is that, you know, we get a lot of of questions and comments from families, individuals, um, ministries, child placing agencies, the state, churches around the country. And so we just decided that we want to do sort of, you know, loosely internally titled things people say series and kind of some of the bigger issues that people come to us with and kind of just address them as a, as a group, hoping that that would benefit somebody. And, you know, earlier, Kayla, you said that um, perspective, you use that word perspective. And I find like we, we use that word more and more in our daily lives and in, in, in our ministry, because I think that having the right perspective is so key because you are able to guard your heart to some extent and you are able to do this thing because uh, foster care is a hard thing. 
And I'm not saying, well, we must be special because we're foster, we were foster parents, but I am saying that I recognize now that we're not actively fostering that it was a really, really hard thing to do because it can be difficult and it can be um, emotional and, and, and it can just be like, you know, you can't sleep at night because you're wondering where, where, the, where the kid was that was living in your house last week. And all of that is really, really difficult. But I think one of the things that really helped us in our family is that we were like a lot of people who came to foster care with this, the mythical foster to adopt idea. Yeah. And, and we were going to adopt through foster care. And that is always makes it, it always makes it more emotionally difficult because if you, if you, if your perspective is this child is going to be a part of a forever kid, forever part of our family and they're moved back to family, then that's really, really hard. But if your perspective is as ours shifted over the years to, um, I don't know how long, um, I'm being asked to be this child's parent and whether that's a day, a week, a month or a year, we're going to love them like they're part of our family. We're going to pray that the best, um, will happen for them. We, we are going to trust the Lord with their life. And I think when we were able to shift our perspective towards that, fostering actually became a lot easier for us because we were just, we're just foster parents. We're not trying to permanently expand the size of our family. And I think that that's one of the key things because if you can just keep your eye, like we're going into this to help this child with their physical needs, their emotional needs and be some sort of healing place for them. Yeah. Because I mean, talk talk about the research and like how, how, how long you have to have a healthy attachment figure in your life in order for you to like transfer that attachment because it is shockingly low. I think a lot of people who don't know that will be surprised. Yeah, there um, there was some research that was done as far as attachment and a healthy attachment figure. And I believe that, that they came up with something like if a child has a healthy, secure, attached caregiver for as little as three months they can transfer that secure attachment to their next attachment figure, their next next caregiver, even if that caregiver is not um, a securely attached person. And that could be a whole nother episode talking about attachment. Hmm. But I think that the research just showed that it was, it was a relatively short amount of time, which I think for foster parents, we do look at, um, am I going to get too attached to this child? Is it good for this child for me to get too attached? And in reality, it is really good for the child for you to get attached if you have a healthy attachment style. Mm -hmm. It's really good for this child to bond to you because it gives them that foundation for being able to bond and attach with their next caregiver. And so that for me was helpful because we've had some kids that were not in our home for very long. And then we've had some kids that were in our home for a long time. Uh, Most of the kids that were in our home for a long time actually ended up becoming a permanent member of our family. But for those that weren't with us for very long, just knowing that in that short amount of time, we were able to, to give them something that will last them for a lifetime that will last them for through to their next caregiver. That's an interesting thought about too attached. Like, really, there there's no such thing as becoming too attached, right? Yeah, I had a mom ask me recently. She's like, "Is it good for my, you know, is am I doing damage to my foster son by holding him all the time and carrying him around with me all the time? I mean, he's probably not going to get that when he goes to family members." 
is that, you know, not a good thing. But the truth is our kids need that. They need that bonding. They need that healthy touch. And so I don't think it is a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing to give them that, even if it's for a short time and even if it means when they go to their next stop along this journey that that they're not going to get all of that. I think that's where the perspective shift comes in, right? Because if you're looking at that as, oh, am I creating an emotional attachment in this child that's not going to last? Am I damaging this child? Am I making this child's story worse? If you look at it from that perspective, then yes, having that little boy sit in your lap and snuggle while you watch some TV, you, that's going to be really difficult for you and you're not going to be able to engage that fully. But if you look at it as, I am teaching this child how to attach to somebody yeah. who loves them, then that's, that's different because we, as parents, we're all about teaching our children how to do things. We, we all, you know, teach our children how to drive, you know, or um, at least I was, I was taught by my parents, how to, my dad, how to drive. Or you teach your kids how to read. You teach them how to spell. Um, our son, you know, you teach him how to shoot a gun. You teach him how to, to ride a bike. You teach the kids all these things. And so if we can look along those lines that like, as this is just part of my parental responsibility to this child to teach them how to have a healthy relationship with a competent and caring adult, right? Because you don't have to have secure attachment to be competent, right? You don't have to be a securely attached person to be, um, to be caring. You, you can still have your issues. You can still be dismissive, you, can, you know, because I think a lot of us have some dismissive traits in it, but I can still love my children even through that while I work on my own things, so I think that the perspective shift that, that was really valuable for us, and, and I can only speak about the perspective shifts that happened at our house, was that instead of looking at it as, should we keep this child at an arm's distance? Because you, you can testify to that, Kayla. That was my MO for a long time. Yeah. In foster care, is like, okay, let's meet this guy's physical needs. He's safe. You know, and then, and then I learned about felt safety, and that just kind of you know, shattered that house of cards for me about just uh, the kid's just safe. It's fine. Um, but for a long time, that was hard for me to just to, to just jump all in. And so when Chris was speaking earlier about the emotional strain on, on Katie versus the emotional strain on him, I was thinking about in our situations how whenever we had a new placement, you're like all in an hour before the child arrived. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, um, somebody follow that kid around to make sure he doesn't just go around and break stuff while we sign papers, you know. And so I think that in a lot of ways... In a lot of ways, culturally now, we're not even we're not even supposed to recognize that, that men and women process things differently. But let's be honest, we process things differently. And so for me, my perspective had to change in different ways than it had to for you. Yeah. Because I, I was like, why, why let the kid sit in your lap? And like, because uh, he needs a lap to sit in. He needs to know it's okay that, that, that he can sit in my lap. He needs to know that somebody in this world loves him because... There's not been a lot of demonstrated love in his life so far. What do you, what do you find that, Kayla, uh, I guess more since we're talking about sort of the differences and Ryan kind of talked about how, how it was for him, um, how, what do you feel, is there something that you feel towards all kids where, yes, the kid can sit in my lap and it's fine, or or for you is it something that, do you need to have a specific feeling towards that kid to be able to offer them some sort of connection? What? That's a good question. I've always loved kids and I've always, you know, wanted to, you know, babysat. I nannied and paid, that's how I paid my way through college was by being a nanny. So I think 
I've always kind of had a natural inclination towards just loving on kids, you know, just kind of, um, yeah. any, any kids that come to my house, that's kind of, that's kind of my natural bent anyways. But I do think that being said, there have been kids that were harder mm. to do that with. There were kids that just really kind of got under my skin or really kind of, um, the behaviors were such that it was hard for me to really like them. And that for me was really hard because as a mom to admit, I don't really like this kid right now when I'm supposed to really love this kid. And I, you can love someone without liking the way they're behaving. I know that. But to think as a mom, you know, that was really hard. And then as I spoke to other moms and realized, okay, I'm not alone. I'm not the only mom that's ever thought this kid just is really irritating to me right now. Um, and in spite of feeling that way, I still offered to let them sit in my lap and I still offered to play with them. And I, I had to kind of push through that because it would have been easier to go, fine, just go play. You're driving me crazy, just go in the other room, right? And so I have to be more intentional with that connection for those kids that are harder. So, so I remember a woman who used to teach with you who was a foster parent. And I remember um, you came home and told me something one day, and this is one of those those markers. You know, we spoke about in the last episode about stacking the twelve stones. I really feel like this is one of the stacking the stacking the twelve stones moments in our story. But she said to you because I remember we were really struggling with this about you know l l just loving the foster kids entirely and completely, and because um, we were those people who said, well, I mean, I don't know how long they're going to be with us. So I don't know what kind of investment to make here. And she pulled Kayla aside and said, look, you don't know long, how long your bio kids are going to be with you, right? You, you can't predict time for anything. So you have to take the moment for what it is and love people today because today is the only guarantee you got. And I think that really shifted our perspective in so many ways when it came to how we interacted with the children because she's right. Yeah, you know, you, you said, well, I love this kid, but they're really irritating right now. Well, um, have you ever thought that about your biological children? Absolutely. Of course. Sure. You, have you ever thought that about your spouse? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. you oh, I said that a little fast, didn't I? Yeah, maybe, maybe we can edit in like a couple of seconds there to make it appear like I you thought, thought about that. I thought, yes, I'm going to hesitate just a little bit in case my wife... Wisdom. Here's this podcast. Wisdom. So we accept, and that's the kind of the thing that, you know, the more we did this, it kind of got confusing to me with people's responses saying, I couldn't be a foster parent because it would be so hard to let them go. But the reality is that we do all of these things that we object to in foster care in every other avenue of life. Just because you get mad at your spouse doesn't mean you love them any less. It just means that you really don't want to deal with their behaviors right now. Or just because you get mad at your eight-year-old biological daughter doesn't mean you love her any less. The reality is what we're, so kind of let's let's put let's put the rubber on the road now. When I hear people say to me, "Well, it's just too hard. I couldn't let them go," what I really hear them saying is, "I don't feel like like I'm equipped for this." They're they're pointing to one small issue, which is just a microcosm of the much larger issue. Going, I, I just I would overwhelm, and and they have a list of like a hundred things that they don't think they couldn't cope with. It, it just means too, they haven't really thought about it. Cause that's the, that's what everybody says. Yep. That's the default. Oh, I don't know how I would, you know, well, that means you haven't really thought about it that much because that's what everybody says. Yes. 
Well, and as a mom, I hear it a different way. And I know it's not what people intend, but when somebody says, oh, I could never be a foster parent, I just couldn't let them go, what I hear is, you must be cold-hearted because you just let kids go all the time, you know? And I know that's not what they're meaning. And I, I try, I don't ever say that back to them, like, well, do you just think I'm cold-hearted? But I kind of go, well, then what kind of person, you know, I mean, I, I kind of internalize and I think, well, what kind of person do they think I am? I mean, I love these kids with all of my heart. We had one, our, our one little guy that left, I cried for months after he left. I mean, I cried and I cried and I cried to the point that our daughter at the, who was two and a half at the time, every time I cried, like I would, you know, stub my toe and I would start to cry. And she, she would ask me if I missed him, you know, because she was so used to me, you know, crying because he was gone. It was really hard. It doesn't mean that that wasn't what we were called to do. Well, the thing that I remember, now that you bring that up, is he left um, a few days before Christmas. The next year, at the end of June, beginning of July, we were at family camp in Colorado. And um, one of the things we like about family camp in Colorado is the slides were built like in the 1960s before the health and safety police ruled the world. <laughs> so they're, not, they're like cut into the side of the mountain. You have to walk up the hill to get there. And you have to sit on this mat and it's like a bobsled run. Like you come down once and you got a headache because you've just been vibrating so badly. Well... Kayla comes down and goes through one of the corners and it throws her off her mat and she hits her head in the side of the, the slide. It hurts so and bad. She, and she's crying when she comes down and little two and a half, I mean, three, she's right at her yes, third she birthday. third birthday while we were there. Came up to her and said, Mommy, are you crying because you miss him? This is six months after he left. So yeah, it does hurt to let people go. Absolutely. But, but you, have to, you have to hang your head on... I, I I did what I was what I was asked to do, and I was either asked for a week, a month, or a year. But I did what I was asked to do. Yeah, and I love watching foster parents who have actually thought this through a little bit more than we had when we started. Because when we started, I mean, we were we wanted to adopt, and so our perspective was such that. We were never going to have to let them go. We were only going to take kids who were going to be free for adoption. And we were never going to have to let them go because we were those people that said it would be too hard. I could never let them go. Like you said, the perspective really makes the difference. And the the idea of the hope that we have yeah. that you mentioned earlier, that's what makes the difference, not the... I'm really, you know, yes, I want to help some kids, and but I'm really in this to expand my family in the way that I choose. That's not the goal. Or right. if that is the goal, you're probably going to be hurt and disappointed. You're going to be hurt, right? yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Because yeah. I like watching, like like Chris, like your family, I, I was, you know, Katie will say to the girls over and over again, you know, we're just helping out until this family can take care of the little one again, you know? Exactly. And that was not our perspective when we started. We didn't have any other children. So thankfully, by the time we did have children in our home, that was kind of where we ended up. But a lot of people start off and they tell their kids, we're going to adopt and we're going to adopt through foster care. And then that baby leaves and they're all crushed and they're heartbroken. And when we were fostering and we could tell our kids, we're just loving these kids for a little while 
because their family needs to do some things to get healthy or because their family needs to um, get some help. Whatever, whatever the reason we could give them, we were just helping their family. We're just helping another family, right? And we do that for people that we know, but this is just loving on families we don't know. It's just being the hands and feet of Jesus, right? It's just being the church doing what we're supposed to be doing. And if we can teach our kids that, yeah, it's still hard when they leave. It's still hard, just like if we were to move somewhere and not get to see our neighbors again, right? I mean, we moved from one place to another and our youngest will probably never remember her good little buddy that was next door, right? But when we left, she was so sad that she wasn't going to get to see her again, you know? And so it's just kind of that how we approach it with our kids really helps our kids and the way they deal with things. And it helps you too to say it to them probably Absolutely. Too, right? Yeah, yeah. And and it probably helps them to I've thought about this too. Like I don't want my kids to not see me struggle with this either. Yeah. That's I don't good. want them to see it as a cold you know what I mean? As a right. cold thing. Like we've taken these kids in, they're gone, whatever, we've moved on. I don't want them I want them to see me struggle that yes, this is difficult. And even though I'm telling you this answer, this is, you know, we do it for a little while to help these kids. It's still difficult. Well, you know, that, that, that's a really, really great thing that you said there because, um, with one of our kids, um, she's really explosive emotionally. And, um, I was talking, um, to a counselor about it and, um, and she said to me, has she ever seen you cry? And I said, no, probably not. And she said, you know, I think it'd be so healthy for her if she saw her dad cry. Wow. If she saw her dad struggle. If she saw her dad have to process his emotions. She said, I think that'd be so healthy for her. And I'd never thought about that. And so for you to have that perspective without having to spend a hundred bucks an hour for somebody to give it to you, <laughs> you just save yourself a hundred bucks, pal. Well, that doesn't mean it's easier to no, actually of course do it. Her vulnerability is no. hard. Right. But we talk yeah. about this all the time. The men's support group that we have, Connected Dads at the church, you know, Chris is part of that with me. Yeah. And we talked last month about how, how vulnerability is so hard for men because everybody says they want emotionally available, vulnerable men. But when you become emotionally available and vulnerable people, including your spouse can look like, um, what happened to the, the guy I married, <laughs> you know? Um, so that is really, really hard. You know, Kelly, you talked about how, you know, being a foster parent is being the hands and feet of Jesus for the period of time, in their child's life. I always think that, um, to me, the two most famous parables that Jesus had were the prodigal son mm-hmm. and the Good Samaritan. I mean, Good Samaritan is so famous. We have Good Samaritan laws in secular countries, right? And the, the, the Good Samaritan, really, I think that being a foster parent answers the biblical call to love the, your neighbor the way you love yourself. Yeah. Because what you're doing is you're loving your neighbor's child the way you would love your own child. Um, you know, when you think about the guy, the Good Samaritan, um, it was inconvenient for him. He had to stop what he was doing. He had to go out of his way and it cost him something. And too often we're like, I will do things that are not inconvenient. I will do things that do not cost me anything. But that's not part of the story of, of loving your neighbor. To love your neighbor the way you love yourself, by definition, is going to cost you something because you have to somehow either increase your capacity or 
share your capacity. And for most of us, it's a question of sharing our capacity, not our ability to increase our capacity. And yeah, it is hard. It is hard. But you know what's you know what's harder than being a 35-year-old adult who had a kid in their house for three months and then had to see them go to family? Is being a four-year-old abuse victim who has nowhere to go. Yeah. And so I think we have to, um, you know, one of the best pieces of advice I got about marriage uh, was from the senior pastor at our church. He said, you know, when I do marriage counseling, I ask people, why do you want to marry this person? And if they give me any version of the Jerry Maguire, you complete me answer, I stop them and tell them that they're not ready for marriage. <laughs> right? Or if the, um, so why do you guys want to have children? Because um, I've always wanted babies. I think, it, I think it'll be fun. It'll complete our family. Yeah, if people give me the, the I want to have it, I want to bring another human being into this world because I think that'll be fun. I'm like, uh, you do not need to be having any children. <laughs> and I think that um, so it's often. it's not all fun? Well, it's not all fun, but I think that we're, we're a very, you know, the word narcissist is thrown a lot around, right? But to some degree, we're, we're, we're a very inwardly focused culture. Mm. We're very self-centered. And any time that you have to go beyond, your, beyond yourself is hard. When you say to me, I don't think I could be a foster parent. It would be too hard to let those kids go. I never, ever think, well, that's a bad person. I always think, well, that's just like Chris said earlier. That's just somebody that hasn't thought that through. Well, and I think in, in, uh, you know, as people, we're, we're sort of conditioned to, to, or not conditioned, but a lot of our goals involve investing in something. You know, we're going to invest into this kid who's then going to go away. I think might be part of because well, you're not because you oh, are you saying well there's no there's no real return on the investment there's that no you can return see. on the investment that you can see and I think that yeah. Kayla's laughing at us now because she's like what you. you guys are duding this <laughs> <laughs> I think it's true though no, I think it's I, true yeah I think we're conditioned to we want we want to see we want to reap what we sow exactly and foster care sometimes just requires you to sow foster care the most of the time just requires you to sow. And yeah. I think I think you're onto something there, Chris. That 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 it's hard for us. Right? That's why ministry is hard too, because so many times we never know. We never know if we made a difference. No, no. When we, when there are a lot of times when we know. My gosh, yeah. the things you did made a difference, and that feels awesome. But so many days you go, I wonder that family that we that we tried to do like some intervention with last last year. And then they, we lost contact with them and they moved away and they stopped returning our calls and emails because <laughs> they thought we were bugging them. I wonder how they're doing. I think that's probably as good a place as any to stop. Um, I'd like to thank Chris Fonte for making his debut appearance today. It's been fun. And Kayla for making her 25th appearance today. Has it been 25? I just made that up. Oh, okay. Just check it. <laughs> um, we also want to give a shout out to Chris Turner. Uh, hope that he's able to uh, be with us next time we record. Um, I don't have Chris's uh, beautifully worded outro, so I will say that the podcast is available by going to tapestryministry.org. It's available on the Google Play Store as well as on iTunes. You just have to search top Tapestry Adoption and Foster Care and it will come right up. Um, and so anyhow. I think he normally says something about requiring a bit more room or something. Where is that? Requiring a bit more room. Yeah, you can tweet. Oh your gosh, email. yeah. Um, if if you have questions, you can tweet us at um, Connected Child or at Tapestry IBC, or you can find us at Facebook at uh, Connected Child and Tapestry IBC. Or if you want to send a question our way, you can email tapestry at irvingbible.org 
one of these weeks we are going to do a um, a uh, email questions show. And so we do respond if you email us. Uh, by we, I mean Kayla responds if you email us. Um, that that which is personal, we promise we won't we won't put into a, to an episode. But there are some general things that people that we get uh, from several people and think, well, if we could address this thing. So um, we'll do one of those episodes soon. But uh, for right now, thanks for listening. <laughs>